Welcome everyone, week 12 of Gangrene and Goudreau right here on Percolated Media. This is Goudreau here. Hope you all are recovering from your Thanksgiving food comas and your Black Friday shopping. Personally, I am all recovered from Thanksgiving, but I did not break <clears throat> any sort of vow this year when it came to Black Friday. I did not participate. I was actually up on a secluded vacation with a condo in New Hampshire with my family. So I am rested, ready to go. Now we have this stretch to Christmas. As a professional, it's the tough time of year because you basically got four weeks, then you're on holiday again, then there's New Year's, and then the, the post-Christmas blues set in. So it's a busy time of year, but I, I'm all psyched up, ready to go to close out the, the, the regular year and the regular season because hard to believe as of now, we got six weeks left to go, and the Jets have six games to go. I have to talk about, to open this show, how I'm not someone who believes in fate or, or karma to a degree. I do believe that something happens to you when you die. I do believe in some kind of higher power. But it's so funny that when we launched this website, we're still in year one. And for years and years, basically outside of the fart in the wind that was 2015, where the Jets went 10-6, and six, by this point in the season, I'm so accustomed to the Jets having nothing to play for and me checking Tankathon to see, all right, who are the prospects we can draft with our premium capital and high picks? It's almost become part of a tradition that I used to joke outside of this year, of, uh, for, of course, that Jets season is over by Columbus Day. Which goes to show you how bad it's been. And look at history if you want further proof of that. So the fact that we are sitting here going into December, because the Jets' next game is taking place in December, and not only do they have a winning record, not only do they have a team that is capable of playing well week in and week out. They're fighting for a playoff spot, which is something I did not think I would be saying going into the season, and nor did I make that proclamation on the week one show. I said this team's ceiling was eight or nine wins, and we're sitting here at seven and four with six games to go. So barring an epic collapse, which I pray does not happen, although it would sort of be same old Jets, I guess. It feels different. And it feels like this team, if everything goes their way, obviously they have to play their style of football, they could be a playoff team this year for the first time in 12 years. But I'm getting ahead of myself, and I'm getting ahead of... I guess being hypocritical of what I what I said to myself before recording, which is to focus on the here and now. But I, I did need to to open up that with that statement because it is crazy that we're going into December and the Jets season is still relevant and it's still important outside of selfish, you know, tanking or getting better draft picks. So there's never a dull moment in Jetland, especially if you're a, a non-Jet fan. Because whenever the Jets are talked about, it's usually in the negative light on a national stage. 
and with good reason, especially if you were like me and had to watch the game last week against New England. The talk of the town was Zach Wilson. Was he going to play? How would his team respond to his post-game comments and on-the-field play? Were we going to see Joe Flacco? Were we going to see Mike White? How is Robert Sala going to handle a difficult situation? And a situation that I did not envy him being in. Because on the one hand, if you continue to play Zach Wilson, you are, I guess, doing the consensus thing of riding with your guy because you have to find out what Zach Wilson is. But the risk with that and the negative connotation is that you alienate your locker room and you're putting one guy above the other 52. Even if it's the quarterback, which is the most important position in American sports, it is still a team game. And you need to read the locker room and you need to get a vibe going, especially with a team that is predominantly young, but there are some key veterans as Sala calls it, his leadership council that he meets with every week. So that was the one road he could take. And then the other one was saying, you know what, Zach Wilson needs to be benched, which is the the difficult way of saying that he needs to, as Sala ultimately called it, a reset. He realized he's not playing well. They're winning in spite of him. He had flashes here and there, but In a game where you have two yards of offense, I don't think you would be hard-pressed to say anything other than he's just not mentally there at this juncture for the team. And Salas claimed that the post-game comment did not factor into his decision. And while that aspect may be true, I do believe that the locker room and their input is what caused Sala to make the ultimate decision to start Mike White this week against Chicago. On the last show, I said I was not sure what he would do. I saw both sides, because I said going into this season that, you know what, we need to find out what Zach Wilson is, above all else. But expectations do change, and I think it's fair to adjust them as the season progresses. And the fact of the matter is, with the position that this team is in, and in an AFC that has some heavy hitters, but is not set in stone, I think you owe it to your team to play the best quarterback that you feel gives you the best chance to win. And Sala believed that was Mike White, which is why he started in Chicago. And Sala also went an extra step by not dressing Zach Wilson. Flacco was the backup. And I thought that was the position I wholeheartedly agreed with. I I realized that if you were going to not start Zach Wilson, you could not have him out there whatsoever. Because in in a hypothetical situation, if Mike White goes down or Joe Flacco goes down and Zach Wilson goes out there and he struggles, that crowd would have turned on him and the kid's confidence is gone forever. I do want to continue on this before I get to the game because this has been and could be the turning point of the season and the turning point of this franchise. Me personally, and this is me speaking as someone who is just a fan, if Zach Wilson is not mentally capable of coming back from this, then ultimately he's not the guy. 
if your ego is that bruised to where you can't come back from this and you cannot get yourself back and realize that you have to not just win back your team, you have to win back the fans, you have to win back the, the trust of your of your coaching staff. We're going to find out what this kid's made of, whether he gets an opportunity to play again this year or not. I don't believe that it is heresy to bench a quarterback. And in particular, I don't believe you should use draft position as an excuse or a validation to keep him in the game if he's not playing well. Look at some other quarterbacks recently that have been benched. Tua Tagovailoa was benched in favor of Ryan Fitzpatrick when he was not playing well. There were some injuries that played into that as well, but Brian Flores at the time said Fitzpatrick gives us a better chance to win. Look at Tua this year. He's led his team to first place in the division as playing the best football of his career. Carson Wentz was benched. He was also drafted number two. And he watched his backup win a Super Bowl. Now, Carson Wentz, I think, is a is a certified bust, in my opinion. And the jury is still somewhat out on Zach Wilson. It's not looking good based on his body of work. And I do think 20 games is a fairly decent sample size to judge. So I don't believe that it was wrong to bench him or it was, it's a bad decision. That's my take on that. I, another thing that surprised me is going into this year, if you would have told me that I'd have more trust in Robert Sala than I would in Zach Wilson, I would have said, something must have happened in a drastic fashion. And it's both the, and this is sort of the, what I do consider fact, is that the team, in particular the defense and the offensive skill positions, have grown at a rate that Zach Wilson has been unable to keep up with. And as a result, this team is sort of in a a win-now mode, certainly for this season. I'm not going to focus on next year just yet, but they they have performed at a level that has put them in position to make a run if their quarterback can just run the offense. So Mike White comes in against the Bears, and I'll throw this disclaimer out right now. Yes, the Bears' defense is terrible. It's hard to say anything but when you've watched them. But there is something to be said for what Mike White did. I'm not going to overreact and say that he should be someone that's signed to a long-term contract, because I find that take to be absurd and typical of the Jet fans living in the moment. But you cannot deny last week versus this week. And I get it's the Patriots and the Bears. There, There is a, a valley. Defensively, although this is a Bears team that went into Foxborough and just embarrassed New England. So any given Sunday, I guess. But for Mike White to go in there and throw 22 at 28, 315, three touchdowns, he had almost as many touchdowns in this one game that Zach Wilson has on the year. Again, it's a fact of the matter. And as Sala said at the end of the game, he made the easy stuff look easy, which has been Zach Wilson's biggest problem, whether it's throwing screens five feet over somebody's head, dropping balls at guys' feet. 
not seeing the field correctly. Mike White was the antithesis of that. He was getting the ball out quickly. He was getting it into the hands of his playmakers and letting them get some rack yardage. And he is also a very good distributor of the football. Too often with Zach, he looks at his primary read. And if it's not there, he goes into hero ball mode. Mike White didn't do that. If his primary read wasn't there, he took the check down to his running back or his tight end. And Mike White, I'll say this, another fact. He hit 10 different guys in this game. So what I said about distributing the football, he did exactly that. And he let his guys make plays. This is the happiest Elijah Moore has been all year. And there is something to be said for Garrett Wilson, who is a looks like a stud and a number one wide receiver that we have not had since Brandon Marshall, that he's caught four touchdowns this year, and none of them have come from Zach Wilson. Two from Flacco, two from Mike White. And while I do think this is a... A one-game sample size, it's difficult to overreact. When you look at the last two years since Michael Floor and Robert Sala, Michael Floor being the offensive coordinator, have taken over this team, they've played four different quarterbacks, Joe Flacco, Zach Wilson, Mike White, and Josh Johnson. And the offense has looked far more productive in a passing sense with every other quarterback except for Zach Wilson. Last year, Mike White had that game against the Bengals where he looked even better than he did on Sunday. Before he got hurt in the game against the Colts, he led them for a touchdown drive. And he had a terrible game against the Bills, but I think a lot of people could have said that last year. And that's, again, one game. So with that pattern, I think it is fair to say that Mike White has earned the benefit of the doubt to play for the at least foreseeable future. That doesn't mean he's the starting quarterback next year. But I think the four games he's played, when you look at also what Flacco did and what Josh Johnson did last year, they're doing what Zach Wilson is is struggling with, and it's hurting the team. Like I said, there's 53 guys. you got offensive wide receivers who are dependent on quarterback play. That is how they make their livelihood. That is how they get the endorsement deals. That is how they become the stars that they envision. And when your quarterback is not getting you the ball, you can run the, the greatest of routes, but when you're getting airmail or you're not even a factor in the case of Elijah Moore, it's tough to not feel sympathetic to them. And we see how good and dynamic these guys are when they have the ball in their hands. Like it's it's been a long time since the Jets have had this this depth of playmaker. So I do believe that, yes, it was against the Bears. But this offense just looks different with Mike White under center. And you see that just not even on the field. The way the guys talk about him, the way they just celebrated while he was doing this interview. There is something to be said for your leadership intangibles as a quarterback. And how the vibe is in your locker room. And Saul is a player's coach. He talks about culture all the time. you got to ride with the guy that the team believes in. And if they don't believe in Zach Wilson, I don't care that he was drafted number two overall. I don't care that Mike White was a fifth-round draft pick by the Cowboys. you got to play the guy who gives you the best chance. And I have to give Salah credit for having the balls to do this because I don't think a lot of coaches at 6-4 and would have made a quarterback switch. 
while they were still mathematically in the playoff hunt. Do I think he should have done it sooner, like halfway through the Patriot game? Sure. Personally, I would have done that because you look at that game, all you needed was not to give up a punt for a touchdown and maybe a field goal wins at 6-3. As I said, one drive is all you need. So the offense looked great against the Bears. Defense, they did not look good early on. It seemed like they were sleepwalking, missing tackles, a lot of broken tackles from David Montgomery. Both Sauce and DJ Reed got beat on big plays, one of which was a touchdown. Not a good day at the office, but they shut the Bears down in the second half and only gave up 10 points, so I can't be too overly critical. But you can't start that lackadaisical against Minnesota this upcoming Sunday or against Buffalo. So the defense has got to play better. So now we've got to talk about where the Jets are as a result of this game. They're at 7-4, and four, and they're currently the seven seed. So they would be in the playoffs if the season ended today. Now me personally, if you put a gun to my head, cocked it and said, are the Jets making the playoffs? As much as I want to believe, I think their schedule is tremendously difficult And when you compare it to some of the other teams that are in their competitive window, like the Chargers or, you know, the Patriots, Patriots have the tiebreaker, number one, and the Chargers have a much easier schedule than the Jets do. So I don't think it's going to happen. But that doesn't mean this season was a failure, if that is the ultimate fate. Because Salah has turned around the 32nd ranked defense into a top five unit. He more than likely will have doubled his win total from last year. He inherited a shit show. I can't emphasize that enough. He's building, like, he has a stamp on the team. And I trust the GM. But their next six, their final six games, at Minnesota, at Buffalo, home against Detroit, home against Jacksonville, at Seattle, at Miami. At best, I think they're going 500. Three and three. That would put them at 10 and 7. Is that enough to get you a wild card spot? Who knows? But goddamn, it'd be nice to have a 10 win season. <laughs> I'm so used to double digit losses at this point that anything on the 180, I'll be happy about. So, granted, this team was not meant to be in that position going into the season, but they've set themselves up. Mike White's just got to trust in himself. Defense has to play well, and they're going to be tested. So let's talk about the game against Minnesota. Uh, We're going to find out how good Sauce Gardner actually is because he's probably going to be on Justin Jefferson the entire game. Maybe they take the Diggs route where they put Reed on him and, you know, safety spy. But I'm – I think Minnesota is going to be a shootout because Minnesota has a very bad defense. I, I think the Jets will be able to put up points. But this game is going to come down to which offense makes that turnover mistake or which defense bends more. I think this will be the biggest test for the Jets' defense this year. And honestly, I don't I don't think they're going to win. I just don't. Minnesota is going to have some extra rest. And call me pessimistic, but I just... When you lose two games to, to a New England team that you're clearly better than, it's difficult for me to believe that you can win these tough games. They did it against Buffalo. 
And if they do that again, then I will be fully on board. So if they win one of these next two games, Minnesota or Buffalo, I'll say, you know what? I think they'll sneak in there. But knowing the Jets, they'll probably lose to Detroit or to Jacksonville, which are not gimme wins. We just watched Jacksonville beat Baltimore, and we watched Detroit's offense always in a good position to put up points, but their defense is just atrocious. And then at Seattle, Geno could give you some problems. And at Miami, Miami will probably be playing for the division title. And I guarantee you, they don't want to see the Jets in the playoffs. So they'll do anything in their power to, 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 to beat them. So that's kind of my window for the next week or so, is just focus one game at a time. Let's see how they do against the Vikings and reassess. So I'm going to keep it a short show this week because I, I really don't have that much to say outside of what's happened and what, you know, because the Bears, it was 31-10 Jets. Like there's not much for me to analyze from the game outside of my my broad thoughts. And we're on to Minnesota. So I'll, I'll wish you all a happy Thanksgiving once again, and be sure to keep up with us here on the site. So this will be the shortest episode, but depending on what happens next week, I hope I can make up for it. So thank you all very much for listening, and it's Goudreau signing off. Take care.